This winter, L.L. Bean wants to help you get outfitted for all that's out there with tips and advice for heading outdoors and exploring all the possibilities of the season. The best way to make your time outside comfortable in winter is to learn how to layer properly. That's as easy as one, two, three. First, pick a base layer that keeps your skin dry and wicks moisture. Second, add an insulating middle layer that keeps heat in. Third, cover it all with a water and wind resistant outer layer that keeps the winter weather out. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com guide. Along the Anacostia River, thousands of years ago, a vibrant Native American community thrived, relying on the natural resources of the land and the water that bisected it. Lush foliage, cattails, fish, and wild game made the region self-sustaining for the Nacochtank people. They understood the importance of balance between using and protecting the resources of these wetlands, which fell into a devastating period of overuse with the arrival of European settlers. Increased population led to resource depletion. A certain carelessness about the environment was rampant throughout the young country, particularly in the Anacostia watershed. The notion of land of plenty washed away in a matter of decades. Plenty of fish, plenty of trees, plenty of edible indigenous plants disappeared with the tide. Forests were cleared to build farms. The river was overfished, erasing the sturgeon that had populated it for millennia. Further deforestation followed the Industrial Revolution, as timber was needed to build homes and provide fuel. Once the watershed's forest was gone, erosion washed the soil away into the river, which became uninhabitable for the fish that had sustained people for many centuries. It seemed that the wetlands were irreversibly destroyed, damaged and eliminated. But in the 1800s, one family was able to make small headway in restoring the marsh and its ecosystem in this tiny slice of America. And in the end, it became an effort of national significance. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens, an urban oasis. In the 1880s, Walter Shaw purchased 30 acres of land in Washington, D.C. It was to be his home, and it abutted the decimated wetland that was considered worthless. But Shaw decided to plant a small collection of 12 water lilies in a former ice pond on the property. Over the course of decades, Shaw and later his daughter, Helen Shaw Fowler, grew the collection from hobby into thriving business. They developed an irrigation system and protected this cultivated ecosystem from the persistent tidal flooding of the Anacostia River. They traveled extensively, bringing exotic varieties of aquatic plants from around the globe and developed their own hybrids. However, in the 1930s, a dredging project on the Anacostia River resulted in the government issuing a notice of condemnation of the land. 
Helen Fowler fought the action and eventually persuaded Congress to protect eight acres of water gardens by annexing them into Anacostia Park. Here's Abigail. Nestled in a residential community in northeast Washington, D.C., Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens is a surprising urban park. Painters and photographers dot the shores of the various ponds. With easels and tripods set up along the often muddy paths, artists work in solitude as they capture the colors and shapes of the flowers in the water. The sun dapples the lotus and lily pads and glints off the surface of the water. Birdwatchers sit perched on benches at the end of the boardwalk, binoculars in hand, each lost in their own study of the park, searching for herons and ibis. It's a land of introspection, of pursuing a keen sense of observation, of watching and listening, of thinking and simply being. Being oneself in a small piece of the great outdoors where water meets land in tiny pools of life. Families, of course, wander the paths, too. Adults marvel at the stellar collection of aquatic flowers, and children look for turtles and fish and frogs. They chase butterflies and tadpoles, stomp in the puddles and splosh in the mud. Beyond the sheer beauty of the landscape, the park offers a sense of community. This may seem unusual in a park that has no ball fields or pavilions for rent, But it is the kind of park that takes a village, so to speak. The gardens require continual, meticulous care. How better to achieve that than to pull in the local community? On a bright autumn morning in the middle of a pond, one among many, people and waders heap decaying plant matter into a rowboat. Nobody is in the boat. It serves as a dumpster of sorts, an easy means of transporting the refuse to the bank of the pond, which isn't terribly large, and the banks are not too far from anybody. The convenience of moving the boat around with them as they tackle a new section means they don't have to drag each armload of soggy lotus leaves now past their useful life to the shore. Seasons come and go just like anywhere else. Winter brings an extra sense of quiet to the park, with only a few visitors marveling at the iced-over ponds or a solitary great blue heron standing sentinel over the park. Snow coats the paths and frost trims the fallen leaves as they crunch underfoot. The park seems more endless, but also more intimate. Without the flora and foliage, each animal spotted seems all the more visible. In the springtime, the terrestrial plants burst with color. The cotton candy pink cherry blossoms emerge on the trees, and wisteria creates its own purple curtain. Magnolias and dogwoods, daffodils and azaleas bring a sense of renewal. Eggs are everywhere. Birds' eggs nestled in the trees, turtle eggs below. The pond begins to green up. 
As a teaser, buds start to form on the lilies and lotus, waiting, waiting, waiting. Summer brings the main act. The ponds are brimming with a lotus so dense that the surface of the water is completely camouflaged. Lotus leaves as large as dinner plates create a canopy over ponds that teem with life underneath. The dragonflies and damselflies dance to the songs of the frogs and birds flitting from flower to flower along the surfaces of the ponds and ring around their perimeters. Slowly, the buds begin to open. One flower on this pond, a few flowers on the next, creating nature's scavenger hunt in the early days of the blooms as visitors crane their necks from the banks to spy a glimpse of a coveted flower. Soon, they are everywhere. These regal flowers hovering over the ponds in swarms of color. The water lilies open in the early mornings, spreading their petals wide until they collapse before the end of each day. The rhythm of life in the park in summertime is palpable. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick break for a message from our favorite place to search for the best campground for your national park adventures, Campendium. Campendium lists virtually every campground in North America and every type of campsite you can imagine. From remote backcountry tent sites to RV parks with water slides and pickleball courts, you can search by price, including free or by cell service, elevation, whether pets are allowed. Dozens of different search filters will bring you detailed user reviews so you can find the best campsite for your trip. Campendium is free at campendium.com or on the app, and you can upgrade to a RoadPass Pro membership to unlock an ad-free experience with more detailed cell service reports, public land map overlays, trail maps, and more. A RoadPass Pro membership also includes other premium apps like Togo RV and Road Trippers. Visit campendium.com or download the app today and save $10 off a RoadPass Pro membership with code RVMILES10X. As July disappears into August, the cycle of life is evident. Visitors reluctantly note that each day, fewer lotus blossoms bloom. The sweet abundance of summer starts to fade, fleeting as always. The sun sets a little earlier each day, and as August slips into September, the air is not quite as warm or heavy, and the ponds are thinning out too. A mere month ago, the large, showy blossoms in shades of white and cream and pastel pink, purple and fuchsia stood at attention above the massive leaves. Now, a few stray petals, browning at the edges, cluster in the cup of one of the few remaining green leaves curling together as if for warmth. The once yellow centers, looking so much like an artificial plastic cone, now hang their brown heads over the water, nodding, bobbing, the seeds fully visible in the large seed pods that appear to be made out of wood. 
Any cleared water on the surface of the pond reflects the sea pods and the few remaining leaves. Very little water shows through the dense carpet of leaves, brown now, shriveling a bit as they dry to a light brown crisp. Soon the volunteers will have cleared it all away and the ponds will rest over the winter. The seed pods dropping their seeds into the water for the next season. Kenilworth Park and Aquatic Gardens is part of Anacostia Park, a unit of the National Park Service. As the only national park dedicated to aquatic plants, Kenilworth is known for its water lilies and lotus, featured in over 45 ponds dotting the landscape. It's informally known as the place where water and wind dance. Open year-round, Kenilworth is literally an urban oasis, a place to escape the rush of daily life in one of the busiest cities in the United States. And yet, this park, set in a long-established city, encompasses a diverse and hybrid ecosystem, comprised of tidal marshes, woodlands, an industrial and recreational river, and of course, the aquatic ponds. Today, the park is home to a lotus and water lily festival each July. Set among the splendor of peak bloom season, the festival combines nature with celebration, music, art, and activities and cultural programs. In 2022, the festival expanded to four weekends, each with a different theme, celebrating art, featuring photo exhibits, painting classes, and music, teaching healthy parks, healthy people, featuring a community 5K walk along the Anacostia River Trail, yoga classes, and dance performances, exploring nature and environment, featuring live animal shows, mariachi, and book talk, and celebrating community, featuring community organization tabling, fashion show, and cultural dance presentations. But Kenilworth offers far more than the trademark lotus and water lilies. It's crisscrossed with small dirt paths that total about a half mile, a quarter mile wooden boardwalk and access to the Anacostia bike trail. The flora and fauna are diverse and easily accessible by peering into the ponds or watching from boardwalk benches. The park is home to deer, muskrats, beavers, turtles, frogs, and river otters, in addition to the vast array of migratory and year-round birds. The park boasts over 250 species of birds, each drawn to its own features of the complex ecosystem. Local experts lead weekly bird talks. Rangers offer a variety of activities, including wellness initiatives such as yoga, but some programs have been curtailed during the COVID-19 pandemic. The park also partners with the Alice Ferguson Foundation's Bridging the Watershed program, which helps students discover science in the great outdoors by using national parks as living laboratories. The students study topics such as water quality, runoff, and sediment in the water, and the impact of trash and pollution on the wetlands environment. For a different perspective on the park, you can paddle a kayak from the Anacostia River into the marsh, but you won't see water lilies and lotus from this vantage point and there is no place to land or dock your kayak to explore by foot. A visit to Kenilworth can be paired with the Anacostia Park itself or part of a larger Washington, D.C. vacation. For gung-ho parkies, our nation's capital is peppered with a wide variety of national park sites from the many familiar monuments such as the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, and the Jefferson Memorial to many lesser-known gems such as Ford's Theater, Belmont Paul Women's Equality, the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal, and Frederick Douglass's National Historic Site.
This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, narrated by Abigail Trebu, and written by Lauren Eisenberg Davis. Our script editor is Kelsey Skullenberg with theme music and audio editing by Peter Xian. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. If you're interested in RV travel, check out rvmiles.com or find us at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys as our wandering family all across social media. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring national parks. And by Campendium. Find listings and reviews for thousands of campsites for your next national park adventure at Campendium.com.